So um, today we're going to look at a well-known story in John's Gospel. Um, some of the ancient manuscripts of John's Gospel do not include this story, but that's because often the story of God protecting and preserving this book has been such an incredible adventure down through the centuries. My guess is, this is a guess, I can't prove it, we'll find out in heaven. My guess is that this passage was so challenging, so scandalous, that some said, maybe we should leave it out of the next edition. And then people said, wait a minute, why did we leave that one out of the next edition? Don't we need it back in again? And um, we'll see as we read it why that may well have been the case. This is a passage today that if you engage with it, if you listen to what it is that Jesus wants to reveal here, this could be a day that changes your life. This could be a day that transforms the way that you see yourself and the world around you. So let's read it together and, um, and then we'll get into the rest of it. Chapter eight of John's Gospel, verse one. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, it is commanded to us that we should stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question to trap him in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The oldest ones first. Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now, leave your life of sin. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So this is an amazing story. Just think of the drama. Think of, think of the intrigue and the conspiracy that lies behind this whole situation. We've no idea at what it is that brought all of the circumstances together to make this story what it is. But just the way that it's written is very clearly an eyewitness account. And I'm sure that the atmosphere crackled as Jesus was 
engaged in this particular situation. A woman has been caught in the act of adultery. She doesn't do that by herself, otherwise it wouldn't be adultery. And so there is both a man and a woman involved in this situation. And it kind of has the whiff of something that's been set up by the religious elite to ensure that they have something that is significant with which they can accuse Jesus. Because the way that they look at Jesus is that they think that he's soft on the things that they think are important. And he's not only soft, but, but he's dangerous. Because his attitude, his posture, his stance towards people who are lost and without God is one that threatens their place of power and privilege and their religious elitism tells them that they, they really do need to solve this problem that is called Jesus. So they set it up. Again, we don't know the circumstances by which this has happened, but to catch somebody in the act of adultery is, you know, requires a certain amount of luck or a certain amount of planning. So they take the woman, probably naked, in a moment of incredible vulnerability, leave the man behind, which, by the way, indicates that they're not prepared to fulfill the entirety of the Mosaic law because, of course, if you're going to bring judgment in these situations, there are two parties involved. Now, these people are religious bigots and misogynists. They drag the woman into the temple courts and make her stand before Jesus. I think all of us can imagine the kinds of levels of shame and embarrassment that she felt at that moment. They're probably already carrying the stones with which to kill her. And they say to Jesus, well, you know what the law says. What do you say? Jesus has been sitting down to teach the people. It's the standard rabbinic posture for teaching. He comes off his seat and stoops to the ground. Now the ancient commentators, the people who perhaps had the closest connection to the memory of the early church, said that Jesus was writing in the dust in the Hebrew script the sins of all of the people who brought the accusation. And as he wrote them down, they were bringing their threats and accusations. But of course, Jesus has lowered himself below the woman that is accused so as not to be party to the shaming of her and so to give her some level of dignity in the midst of 
such a heinous situation. He stands and says, if you are without sin, then of course you can stand in the place of God because God is without sin. Of course, they're not conscious of the fact that God is there in their presence, sinless and holy. If you're without sin, then you feel free to be the first person to begin the process by which this woman will be removed from the land of the living. Now, normally in those situations, the oldest, the eldest, the one with greatest power is the one to throw the first stone. Jesus returns to his work of calligraphy, writing in the dust. The oldest, the one who showed, should throw the first stone, leaves first. And then one by one they leave until no one's there. At which point Jesus stands again to address the woman and says, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? Being elevated to some level of dignity by the posture, the kindness, the compassion of Jesus. She's able to say something. No, sir. No one will neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life defined by sin. Now this is an amazing story and of course just hearing it and then seeing it in some way portrayed for you is probably enough for you to get it. If we were in the position of accusing another person in our hearts or with our mouths, our next thought should be, what is my legitimate position in relation to the person that I'm accusing? Is it above them? Is it equal with them? Is it below them? But I think we know that. And I think we know that there is this whole thing about the speck and the log that Jesus speaks about. But there's something that I want to just uncover a little bit today. Where are your accusers? You see, you do stuff wrong like me. We all do. It's part of the human condition. 
we are separated from God and God is the source of goodness and holiness, life and power. And so when we're separated from the source of all of that, of course we're left to our own devices and we tend to organize the world around our needs and around the things that we're disposed towards. And so we live a self-centered life. Of course we do. And that self-centeredness leads us to self-centered behavior, which the Bible calls sin. So there's nobody in this room or in the online congregation who is excluded from this particular conversation. We're all in it. So you've done something wrong today, yesterday. You've thought something. You've considered something. Where are your accusers? Um, my accuser is, uh, is religion. And though she really didn't intend it, my mother. I mean, she didn't plan it that way. But boy, she was a tiger mom. And she wanted things to go right. And, um, you know, I've told you before, potty trained at gunpoint. <laughs> Massively anal retentive and a little bit OCD. And I guess it's as much nurture as it is nature. Now, I know nobody has had any experience like that in this room. None of you online have ever heard of anything like that. But, but you have these voices that accuse you. And listen to me, not one of them is the voice of Jesus. Not one of them. The voice of accusation and condemnation is never the voice of God. The voice of conviction that says, I, I don't want to be like this anymore. That, that's God very often. But the voice that says, you're worthless. You should be ashamed of yourself. Don't you realize that you're condemned? That voice? That's not the voice of Jesus. Jesus says this, he said, I came to save the world, not condemn it. Now, it's really, really hard to get out of that. I know that you've been raised in churches where you've heard a voice that you're told is the voice of Jesus that condemns you. I know that. I know that you go on the internet and see voices that condemn other people. And those voices make us feel better about ourselves because at least we're not as bad as the people that are being described in the condemnations. And I know, like me, you've got the echoes 
of voices of people who maybe tried their best to help you, but in the end, just put another layer of condemnation in your heart. Jesus doesn't condemn. Jesus brings dignity. He gives freedom from shame. He gives freedom from guilt. He gives freedom from fear. He illuminates them so as to lead us out from them. So what does Jesus mean then when he says to the woman, leave your life of sin? What, what is he saying to her? Because it sounds as though he's asking her to make a journey, leave. Hear that? He's asking her to make a journey. What's the journey that Jesus is talking about? And what's the location that he's asking her to leave? And what's the location that he's asking her to journey towards? What is that? Now that stuff about the voices, that stuff about the accusers, that stuff about, am I one of the people carrying the rocks? Am I the person in the middle of the circle being accused? That may be enough for you today. But I'm gonna take it a little bit further and I'm gonna ask this little question. What's this journey that Jesus is talking about? Okay? So if you've already got something out of the sermon so far, then praise God. I always take great comfort in Balaam's donkey. He can use any ass to speak to you. But if you've already heard something, then try to hold on to that, because I'm gonna give you a little bit more. Is that all right? Okay, so what's the journey? Well, the journey is really articulated in John's Gospel by the things that Jesus says about himself in the chapters that we've just recently looked at. And it's a journey that the people that he's addressing would know because it's part of their identity. It's a journey from Egypt to the promised land. And that journey is the journey that every person that Jesus was speaking to every person that Jesus was addressing understood because it was their history it was their identity it was the thing that they understood about themselves and they understood that the middle part was called the wilderness now for those of you who are not familiar with the kind of the bible story it's simply this God's people moved to Egypt to escape famine many many hundreds of years before Jesus and in that time they really prospered and in great. But then a king came to Egypt that didn't know the forefathers of these people and so began to enslave them. And they were more and more enslaved and more and more captive to the world in which they were in that they began to cry out. And they attempted all kinds of ways to mitigate the effects of their slavery. But it wasn't until God sent Moses to liberate them that they finally got free. 
and they got free and they journeyed into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, God gave them bread. God gave them water. And God gave them light. It's a dark place, the desert. And at night, you can't see your hand in front of your face. And the light was given by a glowing cloud that was illuminating the entire camp of tens of thousands of people at night and was a glowing cloud during the day that indicated to people that God's presence was there in the midst of them. In chapter six of John's gospel, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. In chapter seven, he says, anyone who thirsts should come to me and from within them springs of living water will flow. And as you just heard, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will not live in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus reveals that not only is he the living representation of all that God wants to give people as they're liberated from slavery to sin, he reveals that he is God because he uses the title, I am. Moses, who was sent to liberate the people, heard God say, my name is the I am. And so there in the wilderness, they meet the I am. Eternally present, eternally powerful, eternally able to do the things that only God can do. And so as the people are liberated from Egypt, they're liberated into a world where God provides for them, where God protects them, where God's presence is all around them. Here in Egypt, they're slaves. Jesus says this is the picture of the woman's life that he's just addressed. She lives in a metaphorical Egypt. She lives in a world called sin. Not sins, but a world called sin. And that, that means that being slaves to sin means that that's your citizenship, that's your identity, that's where you belong, and the king of that world, called the prince of darkness, is the one who's in charge of all of that. Yeah? Jesus is saying to the woman, you need to leave that world because there's a journey that you can make. And then he says, I'm the light of the world, follow me. So it's not like it's, not like it's difficult to understand what he's saying. So what is this world? This world is a world of real struggle and sadness because it's a world where you're dominated by this prince of darkness. 
where your mind is darkened to the realities of life. You, you don't know what to do, you don't know which way to go, you don't understand the questions, never mind the answers. The wilderness, well that's really a world of sin management. In the wilderness, God gives the law. It says, look, I've set you free. You're out of there. That's no longer your identity. Your identity's tied up in me, but you've brought chaos with you. You are the agents of chaos. And if I don't give you some level of order, the chaos that you knew in Egypt is going to be the chaos that you live with now. And so I'm going to give you a framework for your freedom. Nudge your neighbor. Say framework for your freedom. Now I'm expecting all of you in your house churches and in your communities on mission and your households, whatever it is you call them, Rebecca, community groups, whatever it is you want to call them, whatever it is you want to call them, I want you to read John chapter 8. Because what I'm telling you now is what Jesus goes on to talk about. Being slaves to sin, being set free, following the light. In the wilderness, we get to, as it were, put order on the chaos that we've known. But freedom, freedom is the key. And so we get free, and then we get a framework. Now, what is the next step? What is it that is the next step that Jesus wants to reveal to us? Because I, I guess that most of us here know that the offer of Jesus is freedom. The offer of Jesus is to kind of get a hold of him as the framework of life and to kind of, in our own way, work out what it means to function in this world that is a wilderness. Receiving his bread, knowing the life-giving waters that he offers and following his light. But is there another step? You see, the children of Israel spent a whole generation wandering in the desert because they didn't want to take the next step because it looked too scary for them. It looked like there were giants in the land. It looked like they were never gonna be able to take possession of that which was promised. Is anybody in the room wanting to take possession of that which is promised? Yeah? Okay, we've got four people in the room who want to take possession of what it is that's been promised. They get into the wilderness by going on dry land through the Red Sea and they get into the promised land by going on dry land through the river that's been dried up. So God 
gives access into the final stage of the journey in the same way that he's given access into the beginning of the journey. But make no mistake, just like our dear brother from Uganda last week revealed to us, there is a further journey than the wilderness. There is something that you and I can really receive right now, right here in this life that is more than sin management. Here, I think I might have to change the color. I don't know, does, I don't think you can see the color on the screen, so I'll, I'll not change the color. Over here, we're alienated. Alienated. Yeah? Over here, we're alienated. In here, we're anxious. Why? Because, I mean, man, there's a lot to manage, isn't there? Isn't there? I mean, all that stuff that's going on inside of you all the time. I mean, you did okay yesterday, but man, it's a whole new day today to fail. Yeah? You were a conqueror yesterday, but wow, today, I mean, who knows? I mean, no wonder people live such anxious lives. But you see, that's the nature of the wilderness. I mean, where's the next piece of bread going to come from? Where's the water today? Are we going to get light like we did yesterday? I mean, ah! So you live in Egypt and you're alienated. You live in the wilderness and of course you're anxious. But if you get into the promised land, you're alive. Jesus said this. He said, I'm the way. The word in Greek is hodos. That's why it's called exhodos. Yeah? That was the name that they gave to the church as the first name for the Christian believers. Hodos. Jesus is the Exodus, he's the way. What's the next one? Truth that sets you free. And what's the last one? Hey, hey, you're getting it, aren't you? If you get all three, you get the full package. If you only get the way, you're wandering in the wilderness if you get the way and the truth it's like well you know at least I'm free at least I've got enough truth to live by but what about living here's the thing I've been a Christian a long time and almost the same length of time I've been in Christian ministry the vast majority of Christians never get past truth. The vast majority of Christians never get out of the wilderness. So, what is it that Jesus offers as the next step in the journey? Well, you'll have to come back next week and I'll tell you. What do you think? Shall I tell you? Now, 
you know, people are joining us and enjoying the, the life of what it is that we're doing here. By the way, freedom, framework, family. We're beginning to see new people. It's wonderful to see you if you're new here today. But you know, we're replanting the church because the church a few years back went through this kind of catastrophe of division and all kinds of strife. And, and then the elders invited me in and, and some people kind of said to me, I don't think we like you. Because you want us to be Pentecostals, don't you? And I said, I know lots of great Pentecostals. But honestly, I, I'm not looking to make you a particular denomination, but I do think you need the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, I'm gonna kind of run to the end of the book just to kind of spoil the story for you but the point of John's gospel is that you get to the end of the journey yeah so at least let's work out what the end of the journey is they're the people in the wilderness and and, and the Lord says to them in the promised land you're not going to have manna from heaven anymore water from the rock you're not going to have light by day and a cloud by you're not going to cloud by day light by night you're not gonna have all of that stuff, but you're gonna have the land of promise where you can live the life that God wants you to live because it's going to be like Eden again. It's gonna be like Eden. We're gonna be close, you and me. We're gonna live a new life. It's gonna be awesome. And the people weren't sure that they wanted it. And the way that Jesus presents this is he says, look, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the life bit is something that I'm gonna pay for by paying the penalty of your alienation from God, which means that you die. I'm gonna carry all of it. I'm gonna live a sinless life, which means that the law has no hold on me. I'm going to die on your behalf so that you don't have to carry the penalty of alienation, which is death. And I'm gonna rise again from the dead to show you the life that I'm offering you. And the way that it's gonna start working is this. Look what Jesus says. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. John chapter 14, verse 17, underline it, highlight it. Jesus is doing all of this 
so that he can deal with all of the necessary alienation of Egypt. He can take onto himself all of the necessary framework that makes it possible for him not only to be free himself but to offer freedom to others because he's the son of God. He can give freedom to others. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so Jesus says all of that is possible and now I'm going back to the Father so that you can have this reality not as an external framework but an internal reality that defines your life. The springs of living water are not outside of you, they're within you. The bread of life is not outside of you, he's within you. The life that you're looking for is not outside of you, it's within you. What Jesus came to do was to pay the penalty. Give us a vision of the life and then send the Spirit so that we can begin experiencing that. Paul puts it like this. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the sins of the flesh. You will not. It won't be something that drags you back into Egypt because you're not there anymore. That's not your identity anymore. You're a different identity. You're living a new life, the life of Jesus. Jesus now defines what's right and wrong. Jesus defines what's sin and forgiveness. Jesus defines what's condemnation and what isn't condemnation. And he lives in you by his spirit. He says, it's important that I go away because if I don't go away, you can't receive the Holy Spirit. But when you receive the Holy Spirit, he will lead you into all truth. I want this for everybody in the room and everybody online. I want you to know that you're part of the family of God. That God is your father, Jesus is your brother, and the Holy Spirit is the one that binds your heart to God himself. I want you and me to live a different life than the life that's offered, frankly, in lots of other churches. I want a different kind of life to that. I want to live the life of the Spirit, empowered by Him, living in the gifts and graces of the Holy Spirit so that the, the works of Jesus can be seen in our life, so that the demonstration of the kingdom is possible in our life, that the things that Jesus did become the things that Jesus does through us. We want that life. And as we live that life, as we live that life, others will see it and say, I think I want that too. Of course they do. Who wants to live in Egypt? Frankly, who wants to live in the wilderness? I mean, yeah, sure, you know, it's kind of cool, bread and water and all that kind of, but it's so much better having your own place, isn't it? It's so much better having your own location that you call home, and this is home for you and me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's home. Amen. So, do I talk about the Holy Spirit a lot? Of course I do. 
Why? Because Jesus does. He wants us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants the Holy Spirit to live in every part of our life. He, he wants us to, to know him filling every part of our life, all of our memories. And it's gonna be, it's gonna be the Holy Spirit that quietens the voice of the accusers. It's gonna be the Holy Spirit that, that turns our heart towards Jesus to hear his words of affirmation, correction, to hear his voice that leads us on. It's gonna be the Holy Spirit who empowers us to pray for the sick, to, to help the people around us with words of life and acts of service. It's gonna be the Holy Spirit who reveals himself in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. All the stuff that we want You can try to do it externally so that you do it out here and somehow it reaches in here. Or you can take the Jesus solution and when I offer the Jesus solution, the idea is that's the best one. Take the Jesus solution, which is it starts on the inside and then works itself to the outside. And is it done through perfect people? No. And are you condemned? No. Oh, we're getting it, aren't we? Isn't this awesome? And then you say to me, yeah, but Mike, 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 how do people get better and improve? Well, you do improvement and I'll do transformation. Yeah, you do that improvement. It's awesome. You could write a book about it one day if you want. Self-improvement's a big thing these days. Or you could ask God, who knows how to do it, to start working in you to transform you from within. So that he conforms you to the image of Jesus. He begins shaping your heart and mind so that you're a different person from the inside to the outside, not from the outside to the inside. This is the gospel. That's why it's called good news. Wilderness kind of partial news yeah okay so we're going to get to the end of our time today and um, I hope you realize what it is that Jesus said to the woman at the end of the conversation leave your life of sin what does he mean make the journey follow me make the journey follow me Now, if you need to make that journey today, if you need to know, do you know what? I I don't want to live there. I don't want all this. I don't want that. I'm going to follow Jesus. He's the way. And he's going to start defining the way that I think and interact with people. He's going to define my reality. He's going to be the truth. And I'm expecting him to give me his life as he changes me from the inside to the out. If that's you today, then... At the end of the service, let's just pray together. It'd be awesome. And that will be some people here today. And that's great. And there will be glorious celebration in heaven when you pass through the Red Sea and leave Egypt behind forever. Amen. But my hope is this. You don't 
join all the people who wander around in circles in their religious observance because that's the vast majority of us, isn't it? Yeah, the vast majority of us. The, the big journey that most of us have got to make is not through the Red Sea, but through the Jordan. The big step that most of us have got to make today is the step that says, I'm going to stop trying to do it from the outside to the inside, and I'm going to let God do it from the inside to the outside, because God can do it, and I can't. Yeah? Now, if that's the step that you need to take today, if that's the clarification that you need today, and as you read the scriptures, this is not me saying this, this is the Bible, okay? When you read the scriptures and you look at John's gospel and you go, wow, you know, Mike was right about that. Then you'll know the confirmation of what it is that God is saying to you. But today, make the step. Make the step. Today, make the journey. Today, say, promised land, way better than wilderness. I'm tired of, I'm tired of this sin management. I want personal transformation. If that's you, then as the worship team lead us, you come.